0: Okay, so five stars, four stars, three and a half. Um, I would love to hear as we kind of unpack this book, what were some of the things that influenced how you felt about this? Okay, I'm gonna pick on Rebecca first before we get into this because my one intention, Rebecca and I have not talked about this book except for her <laughs> sending me. <laughs> sending me her highlights and and those kinds of things. We have not discussed it. So like real time, Rebecca, tell me your your thoughts before we get into the discussion. What was your response to this book? Because you have to know when I read this book, not only was I thinking about my own experiences, I was like, Rebecca Hoffer has to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, Rebecca, what are your thoughts? Okay.
1: Okay. Um, I'm like legit nervous for this like entire experience here, right here, because I will say that reading this book, I sent this to you in a text, Meg, at times it was, it was almost painful the way that it felt like my own skull was cracked open and smeared onto the pages of the book. Like it feels like incredibly vulnerable because I feel like this book describes so much of who I am (laughs) as a person and what I have become obsessed with that it's like, I'm nervous. I I know. I mean, you guys are the superstars. Like, you know (laughs) that uh, obsessions galore are happening here, especially the Harry Styles obsession, right? Like elephant in the room. Can we just acknowledge the fact that like, I am obsessed with that man. And to read those words on a printed page, I, there were times I was reading the book, I would read it and then I go, oh.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was almost too much. Yes. I don't I don't know if I'm alone in that because I have this whole hairy thing going on, but it was like almost it I don't know. I'm I'm nervous to even say anything.
0: Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I, I absolutely get that. Lori Lynn is the person who like months ago texted me and she was like, you absolutely have to read this book. And I think, Lori Lynn, you probably had Rebecca in mind a little bit, too. You guys, I just put my glasses on. They're fogging up. That is <laughs> glamorous. Um I, okay, let's do this show of hands. If you had that reaction that Rebecca had in terms of like, when you were reading it, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so spot on. It almost hurts me to read it. Let's see a show of hands on people that were just like, yes, I resonate with this so much. i you notice, I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> like a little bit. I, I am one of those people like I genuinely feel Jealous a lot of the time for Rebecca in the sense that Rebecca, I feel like you have this capacity to really go all in when you're into something. And sometimes I'm like, I I wish I had something that I was that all in about. Right. (laughs) Does anyone relate to that?
1: I don't know if you should be jealous (laughs) because it can, it can almost be painful at times. Yeah. And it's, this is, this is like really crazy, but I listened to a podcast that was all about being a fan of Harry. And one of the things that it talked about was like how painful that experience can be at times. And it's true. Sometimes being like so super invested in things, it can almost, it can, cause you some emotional distress and discomfort, which I think is why I appreciate this book so much because she really dived into all the different ways that really being into something can cause you some of that emotional discomfort and guilt sure. and shame and like mm-hmm. all of those different things, all those different things.
0: For sure. And we are totally going to get to some of those um Emily, any updates from the chat that you want to share before we kind of dive into the Uh, actual text?
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, Katie, um, Katie said not painfully. So Lori Lynn um, said resonated, but it didn't hurt. Yeah. Um, Athena, like Meg, I kind of wish I had something that I was such a fan of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's kind of start at the top. I kind of divided our conversation into a t- couple of different themes and it's not exactly in chronological order to how Tabitha, I'm going to refer to her as Tabitha, like she's our friend. Um, it's not necessarily in chronological order, but I feel like there's some themes that we can really find picked up throughout the book. I thought it was really Really interesting that she started by telling about how her Benedict obsession began shortly after she had become a new mother. And so on page 15, I think this is in the first chapter, on page 15, she's talking about this idea that in her mom even said, I think they should put a mirror in the delivery room to show you. You're not actually in pieces, although it feels like you are. Um, it says that. With the, when the haze of hormones, chronic sleeplessness, and alcohol-free nights lifted, I finally knew what had hit me. I looked around for pieces of myself I recognized and tried to put the component parts back together, but nothing fit the same way anymore. The original form was gone. The new composition I made in its place was rough-hewn with exposed cracks and gaps. That's how Benedict Cumberbatch found a way in. He squeezed my heart. He rattled my bones. He tapped out a message in Morse code on my ribcage. Who are you? Now, I know not all of us who are gathered here today are mothers, but I think probably a lot of us as people can relate to that idea of something happening in our lives that shakes our sense of identity; that we actually begin to lose a sense of identity. And I'm wondering if anybody has, is, as you think about your life story, if you can think about a time in your life where you you did feel that shaken sense of identity and just like being like, "Who am I?" If it was during a time in that in your life where that had happened, if you found a new thing, a new hobby, a new interest, a new obsession if anybody has a story and you can take a minute to kind of think on it. I know for me, probably the, I, I'm going to say that the obsession that I'm going to talk about the most to try to relate how I read the lens. I read this book through is fan fiction. Um, I don't know that I'm at the, I don't know if I'm at a Rebecca level of obsession, (laughs) but I, I read a lot of fan fiction and I think about fan fiction as a form of text a lot. And I will say, as I was thinking about and reading this book and preparing for this conversation, I absolutely did find my way into fan fiction following the birth of my twins, which a couple of months after they were born, I told some friends of mine that I felt like having twins had obliterated my life. As much as I loved them, I felt completely taken apart by that experience. But it doesn't have to be motherhood. I'm just curious if anybody else has a story that kind of you're like, yeah, when this happened either in the recovery of it, on the heels of it, or during that is when this new interest came in. Let's see. Katie Proctor, are you raising your hand? Okay. Um, mine was really when I quit teaching the first
3: time to stay home with the babies, yeah. because teaching had been such a, like important part of my identity when everybody ever says, what do you do? You know, I was a teacher and I felt really proud of that. And so when I started to stay home, I knew I had to find something else and that's when I started to write. So that was that for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who uh,
3: else? Carolyn,
2: Carolyn M. Okay.
4: In her hand. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Um, so, for me, it wasn't motherhood at all. But when we came back uh, in 2020 from 17 years of living in Afghanistan, yeah, and having to figure out. Who am I if I'm not the weird person who lives in Afghanistan? That was my whole identity. And I really liked having that expat identity. Yeah. Um, when I, What I threw myself into was um, a very new experience for us, which is being a mom of high schoolers. Uh, you guys, I signed up for absolutely everything. I am on every committee. <laughs> I am a band mom with like a t-shirt. And some of it to me feels like I'm an expat in America, and I'm learning it. Yeah, um, and so I don't really recognize, like in the book, who is this person who is doing all this high American high school stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can totally see that. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Carolyn. And um, Dee, how about you?
5: Yeah, I, I, you know. Kind of like a lot of other people, once I had a child, it felt like it was taking up my entire life. I was still working, very necessarily so because my husband was not working. Um, And I found like for a while there, my hobbies all were child related. Like I got into scrapbooking, but that was to save memories of my child. And one day I kind of woke up and I felt so overwhelmed by all of it. That I started a book club because I've always liked to read and I'm like, I need things that are not kid related that have nothing to do with being a mom with taking sure. care of the things and even being a wife and having to be the breadwinner. I was like, I just need things that aren't, aren't any of that. So yeah, I
0: don't, I don't totally know. relate. Um, Lori Lynn, I think you had your hand raised. Yes. So um,
6: for those of you who can't see the video, I'm holding my three year old right now. She fell asleep in my lap. But her pregnancy and then postpartum, and then from postpartum into COVID, I I literally say that I lost a piece of my soul from her pregnancy on. It's just gone. It's just gone. And really leaning hard into things that I love. One of those things has been reading, which I see uh, Katie here. I was actually able to talk about that on an episode of currently reading way, 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 way back. Back, I think it was season one. Um, so um, not just like reading, but like reading, like going from reading about 25 books a year to the very next year, reading about 100 books a year. Um, and just intensely leaning into things that give me pleasure. So that kind of I don't have that I had the short burst of obsessiveness. It doesn't, it's not quite as uh reading has stuck, but like for a while it'll be soaking in an Epsom salt bath. And I will do that three times a week for weeks Mm -hmm. on and then I just won't anymore. Um right now it's it's sparkling water. I've got a LaCroix here. I will drink (laughs) multiple of these. It's it's just intensely leaning into something that's bringing me pleasure no matter how small no matter how big no matter how ridiculous um so yeah but reading has been the biggest one um and not and like coming quote unquote a serious reader
0: yeah yeah all right that's so good I totally get it and I know a lot of us in the community kind of followed that whole progression in real time too Lori Lynn to see how that unfolded in your life um speaking of serious readers Katie Cobb I see your hand is raised.
7: Yeah. I, mine is similar to Lori Lynn. I can like chart on a bar graph and y'all know, I love me a spreadsheet and a bar graph, but the one that I wanted to talk about today was in November of 2019, I had, um, ACL surgery and I had to be laying on the couch for six weeks without like, I couldn't do anything and already a mom of four, but it felt like everything that I thought I contributed had been taken away from Mm. me because I couldn't cook and I couldn't like go get my baby to nurse her. And right at that time, Katie Proctor sent me the soul of an octopus. And that's like, it was like the tentacles of the octopus worked its way into my cracks. Where I was like, I felt totally broken. Like I wasn't being able to contribute in any way. Who even am I? What is my identity in life? And it was like, the octopus was like, I got you. I'll wrap you up with eight arms and you can become obsessed and that's okay. And so that's my, that's my obsession. It's not Harry Styles. They're not as pretty as Harry Styles, (laughs) but, um,
0: but their souls are on the same level, right?
7: They're very special (laughs) to me. Yes, exactly.
0: Oh my gosh. I really like got teared up at that. I do think that there is something so significant about when these things happen in our lives where we do feel like we've come apart. It does make space for something new to come in, and it can be so unexpected and bring healing. Emily, tell us what's going on in the chat.
2: Yeah, so there are some people that maybe didn't experience that identity crisis with being a mother, but you know, um, I think it was Athena that said when she left the military. Oh yeah, um, she felt that way. I know, Shell, um, Shell, God bless you. She got. Sick, married, and moved across the, across the country, and had a baby all within one year.
0: Ugh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. huge.
2: Yeah, um, Karen Olson held um, after two miscarriages. I felt I I need to. I felt like I needed to learn how to knit. Mm. It's like I needed something to keep my mind and hands busy, but in a different way than work.
0: Yes. Oh, so powerful. So true. Thank you guys for who are chiming in the chat. i love to hear it. Um, You know what, here's an interesting question, because the next passage I'm going to read from is where she's kind of grappling with the difference between like using the word obsession versus a hobby. I would love to hear if anybody, again, type it in the chat if you want to, or just raise your hand. What are some of your thoughts on like, what do we mean when we say obsession? And does it, is it different from a hobby? Um is it something about the way it's perceived by others? Is it how we ourselves perceive a thing? Do we maybe feel like, oh, I have an obsession with this, but other people might be like, um, well, that's just your hobby. You're just really into it. And, I, and some of it might have to do with like the acceptableness of it for sure. Um, I know some people are chiming in in the chat. Anybody want to go on mic and talk about like what do you think of when you think of the difference between like obsession and uh, hobby? Lynn, what do you have on that?
6: When I think of an obsession, it's something that when you think of this thing, you associate that with this person. Oh. So, I mean, I'm not picking on Rebecca, but <laughs> when we think of Rebecca, we think of Harry Styles. When we think yes. of Harry Styles, we think of Rebecca. Yes. Um, you know, with uh, my five-year-old, when I think of wolves, I think of Harper. She's yeah. obsessed with wolves right now. Wolves aren't her hobby. She's obsessed with them. Right. So, um, I think they're related but just a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Lindsay, what did you what did you have to share on that the distinction?
8: So, I Um, Oh now hold on. A kid has just walked into the room. (laughs) Isn't that Um, always the way? (laughs) Yeah, Leo, go see Daddy. Okay. I'm in a meeting. Thank you. Love you. Um I so I grew up in a family where my dad and my mom, but definitely my dad always was pursuing a hobby and it would become like a, we would say a full-on obsession for a period of time. And then he would get over it and he would move on to a new hobby. And my sisters and I often talk about the fact that we love that that was modeled for us, that it was okay to pursue things that were interesting, even yeah. if we were to let go of them later. But also at the time, like we kind of teased him. We thought he was like a little silly it's kind of quirky like oh there goes our dad again with his latest thing Mm -hmm. and I think for most of my life my hobbies have always sort of been the same thing but I have often tried to like rein it in like a hobby is something that you like enjoy but like let's not let's not go crazy let's not move that obsession realm um, in some way and and I just found so much freedom as I was reading this book. Like I didn't yeah. necessarily relate to the same level as um Tabitha's Benedict Cumberbatch uh, um, you know, obsession or hobby. But I just found so much freedom that like if I like it, I can like it and I don't have to rein myself in. Like that there is not a point at which the hobby is no longer acceptable. And um, which yeah. I think is what I have always thought or kind of the the paradigm I was operating from, if that makes sense.
0: Interesting. That is so interesting to think about from like our families of origin and how interests were modeled for us. I think that's a really interesting component to bring in. Okay, Liz, I know you wanted to share something from your perspective.
9: Yes. Hello. And I don't have my camera on because I have been dealing with with COVID. Hopefully I will not start coughing. Um, I actually believe it's the first time I've gotten it since 2020. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so I had a lot. I have a lot. I have a lot of thoughts about um, diagnoses. So I'm a clinical social worker and a therapist, and I don't use the word obsession lightly, just because Mm -hmm. it's also become overused a lot in social media and other things like that. Um, and I'm also coming, I come from a strength based perspective, um, of social work. So I have a lot of issues with DSM in general. Like I'll tell someone like, for example, if someone wants a referral to a certain type of endocrinologist in town, I have to give them gender dysphoria disorder diagnosis, which I don't like the wording of, but I have to, to get them access to services. Um, but so I was thinking of it, too, when she said at one point in the book, she was talking about maladaptive daydreaming. It made me start thinking about um, the recent episode that you had on the um, sort of awesome overflow. And what if it's more we have a misplaced attachment and what if it has to do more in with the attachment theory that you were talking about? We attach ourselves to these characters because in our minds, they're providing us something that we're maybe lacking um, and we're getting in a way. I mean, it's a lot different. Somebody having. You know, a celebrity crush on someone than actually going out and meeting random people in a bar. Yeah, you know, sure, so. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. My brain is a little rambly. I haven't had a lot of human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> and I have more totally thoughts that I can sense. share later in general. But that was my about obsession. That's kind of my thoughts on that.
0: I'm so glad you said that because I do think this is a great example of how we all sort of have our own lenses that we see things through. So, obviously, from a professional standpoint, the word obsession. Um, and if you are in any kind of field where you're dealing with like that being an actual, you know, something that can tip into unhealthy, then for sure that's going to be different than liking, uh, liking a lot your Benedict Cumberbatch material. Um, Emily, I know people are chiming in in the chat. What are some things that people have shared in the chat about this distinction between the two? Cause that is something I thought a lot about while I was reading this book.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, You know, so I think um, uh, Heidi said something really pointed in, you know, a hobby is socially acceptable. Um, You know, we're not embarrassed to talk about it and obsession kind of feels shameful. Um, So true, you know, like my obsession is true crime. Um, mm-hmm. you know, which can be very, you know, can be taken to, uh, some unhealthy levels. For sure. Um, I would say art is, you know, more of a hobby. Um, let's see. Mary Downey said obsession leads to addiction for me. Mm. It feels unhealthy after reading this book. I don't think I agree with that now, but definitely have that connotation previously. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Katie well, Cobb, let's oh, real quick, uh, just yeah. real quick. Katie Cobb said, uh, I definitely feel, um, associated with that person thing that, um, Lori Lynn mentioned also, I cannot tell you how many people will send me a video or an article or an upcoming book about octopuses. I don't need to go looking for them because the internet (laughs) will provide since Katie (laughs) Eagles octopuses.
0: I took a picture of Nico wearing a t-shirt that um, one of our superstars, I don't know if she's here or not, Angela made um, for Nico. And I said it to Katie Cobb and Katie Proctor. Like, here's your little octopus to start the day. That is so funny. And I'm sure Rebecca can relate to this. She very publicly loves Harry Styles. I'm sure Rebecca, you don't have to get on on Mike to say it, but just give us a nod if this is true that people send you or tag you Harry Styles stuff all the time, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Yes, it happens, and I love it. I love when people are like, "Hey, I don't know if you've seen this." And yes, yes, honey, I saw that. I saw that weeks ago, but <laughs> I love it every time anyway. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's so good. And I think there's a component of that too. That when we do have these really passionate interests and people see that, I think that like on some level, maybe you maybe it gets a little old after a while, but on some level, I think it feels so good to be known and seen for what your interest is. Um, so kind of spinning off of that, let's talk a little bit about guilt and our 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 hobbies, our passions, our obsessions. Um this is on page 72 in the book. If you have your text and if you want to look at it, um, she's talking about this distinction between obsession and hobby. And this is in the chapter about guilt. And so she, she says invisible leisure is a term I learned from Bridget Schulte in her book about time pressure overwhelmed. This is what she calls productive. The productive, socially sanctioned activities like quilting bees, canning parties, knitting circles, book groups, which are, she says, truly the only kind of acceptable and industrious leisure time most women have ever known. Invisible leisure is typically task oriented, often domestic and purposive, she says, directing, directed to meeting the needs of family, friends and community. Um, so there's this idea that The most socially acceptable interests, whatever level of interested you are in it, are the things that ultimately like do a thing, right? So like if you're like super, super, super into knitting, well, maybe you hand knit everybody's holiday gifts every year. Like you are super into it. You think about it all the time. You shop for yarn. You're always like you're on Ravelry looking at patterns like you're so into it. But at the end of the day, like you have a thing. As opposed to me, I can be up until two in the morning reading a dreary fanfic and I have nothing to show for it except for dark circles under my eyes the next day, <laughs> right? Like it's just it's just for pure pleasure. So she talks about um, this idea of pure pleasure. When it happens, pure leisure should feel like play, not work. You won't be worrying about whether it, everyone is having a good time. You won't be lumped with the labor, physical, mental or emotional planning, delegating, cleaning up. You won't be doing it out of obligation because you know it's good for you. Pure leisure requires a deliberate choice to carve out non-purposive time for just for yourself. For women, Schulte explains, there's nothing le- that's nothing less than courageous, subversive, almost active resistance. And shouldn't that feel good? So again, this is in the context of her talking about guilt. And I actually, I went and watched um, an interview with Tabitha Carvin that a bookstore had done with her. And she was talking about this guilt factor. And she made the point that the guilt that we feel around our interests often comes down to the issue of time. So when we are giving time to the thing that we're passionate about, for most of us, especially women, it means that we're taking time away from something, from our professional pursuits, from the people we're caring for, and that this is a huge part of the guilt component when it talks when we talk about our our passions. I was wondering if anybody had any thoughts about this idea of maybe like grappling with, or maybe you have broken through to freedom and like fully claimed that it is totally okay for you and good for you to have these pursuits of pure leisure. Wondering if anybody um wanna if anybody wants to chime in on that. Okay, we got a couple of raised hands. Mary Downey, hello. What are your thoughts on that?
10: Hi. Um, yeah, I highlighted that like triple in the book. I sent it to uh, my therapist, uh, my spiritual director, two of my best friends, yeah. uh, because that is a thing for me uh, that I've always struggled with is not being the caretaker in the space. And so to think about having time where I'm still not in charge, where I'm still yeah. Because every place I go, I'm, I'm the leader, I'm in charge. And so if it's at home, it's at work. Uh, and so one of the suggestions in my life that I'm working on, I have it done, is uh, my therapist wants me to join a class uh, where I will be so bad at it that no one will ask me for help. Um, (laughs) that is a great plan of action, especially for a three, like Mary is. I love (laughs) it. Exactly. She's (laughs) like, I need it to be something that you're going to fail at and that no one will come over to you because then you will step into this caretaker planning, fixing mentality. So that was, that was very, very good to me.
0: Love that. Love that. Dee, what are your thoughts on this whole concept of the guilt and the pure leisure component?
5: I think I was extremely fortunate to grow up with my mom who, like, I mean, back in a time where women were really supposed to identify themselves as mothers, as spouses, she was uh, a divorced single mother, and she had lots of passions, and she reveled in them, yeah. She was a Star Trek fan from the moment that show came online. She loved reading science fiction, she loved collecting things, she loved needlepoint. And I I mean that it, it so when I became a mom, it became like normal for me. I mean, that's what I saw. That was I mean, of course I would go create a book club because I felt like I was losing myself. Of course, I would have things that I'm so super interested in and, and made time for. And just yesterday, my son, who's 20, we were talking and he said, he said, no, you definitely never, you know, put my needs. Like, I mean, I put his needs ahead of, at ahead of my own, but I, I definitely did not abandon myself. Mm-hmm. And, and, he said that was a good lesson that was something to learn that being being okay with expressing yourself and fulfilling what you feel called to do is is important and yeah. you know I think it's really positive for kids and we shouldn't at all feel guilty
0: yeah love love hearing that again so interestingly the, the different ways that this is impacts us based on what we learn from a very young age. All right, Karen and Lori Lynn, I see y'all Emily, do you want to update us from the chat? Looks like there's a lot um, going on in there. What are some some of the highlights there? And then we'll get back to Karen and, and Lori Lynn.
2: Yes. Katie Proctor brought up a really good point. Um, She said, this part makes me think of, uh, you know, the idea of indivisible uh, work that women, you know, just to run a household or run a family. Um, I think that was really important. Lisa M said, I don't feel very much guilt about my passions. I think a lot, uh, you know, about, she thinks a lot about modeling for her children and she doesn't want them to see, you know, to see her, um, you know, get stressed about that, about other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie, um, let's see. Da, 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 da. I've got a lot of chats. I um, know y'all are, y'all are, uh, firing it up in the chat over there. I love to see yeah. it. Oh my goodness. Um, Athena said D that reminds me of my other interest, Dr. Who. Oh yeah. friend shade yes. me a little David Tennant as the 10th doctor doll one year. Liz okay. Wine, we have thoughts.
0: Ha ha. <laughs> we do, definitely. All right. Y'all keep chatting. Karen, let's hear from you some thoughts on this in terms of the guilt, the pure pleasure, like the pure leisure, a concept and what's acceptable, especially as women. Karen, what are your thoughts?
11: That's something that I feel like I've been so intentional the last few years about changing that internal narrative and repeating to myself, like actually saying the words, I don't have to earn rest. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. if I want to do insert, whatever, I don't need to feel bad about it. Um, yeah. And yes, turns out, there's still things that have to get done around the house. But right now, I decided to hop on the zoom call instead of switch out the laundry, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if there are days where I'm like, you know what, I am going to try to get through my weekend chores on Saturday, so I can do nothing but curl up with a book on Sunday. And I think back to as a kid, I never saw my mom do that yeah. like it was always she could only sit down after everything else was done or might as well get those passive chores going in the background right yeah. um and then even now like I'm thinking oh but can I get my mom for a gift she doesn't have hobbies or mm. other interests you know and just like well right. you know what are those other things you're interested in but just as another little side note I have to show you this is a tiny little uh it's going in and out um the who's this is Benedict Cumberbatch, um, as is Doctor Strange. Because okay. Because I do actually really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, how so fun! I was wondering my, if anybody
0: was a super fan uh-huh. in our crew. Yes. Um.
11: So my family saw the book sitting around. They're like, "Sure, it's not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch." <laughs> I'm like the, the jacket copy says, it's not. Like, it
2: really <laughs> I love it. That's so
0: fun. That's so fun. Okay, Lori Lynn let's hear what you you had to say. Um.
6: I've been thinking a lot about female pleasure and not necessarily sexual pleasure, just pleasure yeah. in general. Yeah. And um, my husband and I are in bits, bits and pieces watching the Elvis movie that came out recently and how controversial he was in the beginning. And I was like pondering, like, why was that? And part of it, he really female pleasure at that point in the fifties, early sixties was not, a priority right and how um just controversial that was in that time just kind of blew my mind a little bit and also reminded me of like a personal story of my grandmother was still is a huge Elvis fan her dad would not let her go see Elvis concert Mm -mm. and then she was married at 18 had babies right away and never got a chance to and I was thinking how sad that was and how we now can help heal that generational yes trauma feels a little strong for that but those generational wounds those generational, yeah yeah yeah. habits um by leaning into what we love with right without shame yes um, and how it can be hard to let that shame go but it is really freeing if you're able to get to that point and how healing that can be for not just past generations, but future generations.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it comes back to the modeling thing and that we have the capacity to change the trajectory. There is, is really cool to think about, uh, Stephanie. Hi, joining us on the go. What were your thoughts? Um,
3: I think for me, like, um, I, I feel like opposite kind of reading this book because I think the thing that I've been really interested in is like homeschooling and raising our kids. We just had our fifth baby, and in my family, like having a big family is not acceptable. Like, oh, you should have two kids, and you should have like, you know, chase like having lots of money and you know, like climbing up the ladder and having careers and having all the nice things, but like. I don't have nice space for it, but like, I really love having a big family. Like I love on Sunday, like watching football with all of our kids and yeah. setting bears. And yesterday my sister got married. coming And my dad, my new wife, soon to be wife, um, her son was asking me about like, well, tell me about you. Cause this was the first time we met. And I said like, well, I'm a mom and I'm school, but like, I realized, like, socially, like, that didn't seem acceptable, like, yeah, in, in that circle, but, like, I love it. Like, this past weekend, we went to a farm crawl where we went to 15 farms over two days and looked at goats and chickens with me and another home. And I had so much fun. And I think that's something that, like, it, it's when, like, it doesn't feel, like, socially acceptable. Like, and it's, like, yeah. I kind of, I, I like, it's fun to it bring a lot of joy and enjoyment to have, like, a whole army of people. Like, that's been fun to me because that's something that's what, like, i just like, is there what your hobbies and interest trip and time should be sent to you? Know, like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that that I that resonates and I actually was going to add I was going to kind of jump forward in the the chronology of the book because later in the book she um Tabitha kind of addresses the question of like what does your husband think about all of this and how our passions our interests our hobbies our obsessions how much of the guilt that we experience comes you know organically from within ourselves and then how much of it has to do with like what other people are kind of putting on top of it. Rebecca, I know you've kind of touched on this in the past. Did you know I was going to call on you to, to talk about this? <laughs> no, but I should have guessed. <laughs> um, I do know this is something because I do, I wonder if it's a little different if your big, big interest is another human being as opposed to um something right. like um, I don't know, being a, a bird pilot. watching, yeah or yeah, bird watching, like something that is not human based. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, how have you kind of navigated that with people asking you, like, what does Nate think about all of this Harry style stuff? Which I know you kind of touched on in some of our overflow episodes, but it felt it felt really, you know, pertinent to this topic specifically.
1: Well, first of all, I will say that I'm just incredibly fortunate that my husband. um, he, he does not care. He, he is very supportive. He wants me to be happy. And I don't know if that's part of his personality type, uh, part of him being an Enneagram too. He just wants his wife to be as happy as possible. Um, but... It is interesting and it does come up. And we were actually, we were just together with family just this past weekend. And my cousin, a man asked, we were talking about like upcoming plans. I was talking about that. I'm flying to go see this Harry Styles concert. And my cousin asks, like not so long after I just read this chapter in this book, my cousin says to my husband sitting on the beach with us, well, you must be a really confident man to be comfortable with your wife." And I don't know what he said. What did he say? I don't know. Going to a concert like that sounds stupid. Of course, I can go to a concert. So (laughs) I don't even remember what he said. Mm -hmm. He didn't say like lusting after a superstar, but I can't for for the life of me remember what he said. But that's what he meant. Right. Like, yeah, you must be really you must be really confident to be comfortable with your wife being infatuated with this uh, pop star. And my husband, he just had the right answer. And I don't know how like you get that in a relationship other than just pure luck. I I don't know. I must have been, I must be brainwashing him to some extent, (laughs) but he, but he just said, you know, I just have, I just feel like we all have our things. And, uh, you could say that I have a pretty unhealthy relationship when it comes to sports. And then he caught himself that that could mean that he's implying that his wife has an unhealthy relationship with Harry Styles and he, he gestures over to me, not that not that what you're doing is unhealthy. I'm just saying I can be unhealthy about sports. And it's true. Mm-hmm. He spends money to go and travel and see sports at times to buy tickets. He he spends time and energy watching it on TV or read, catching the highlights on his phone. He's gotten grumpy because of sports. Yeah. And nobody says to me. You must be a really understanding wife because <laughs> right? your husband's watching sports right now. Right. <laughs> so yes. I I think it is really tricky though when it is um like another person sure. and another attractive person. And there's that like lusty element to it. Like and that's one thing that I feel like she didn't quite touch on in the book about the, the when it is an actual person and your spouse like has an issue with that. Um, she does say that men have been objectifying women for centuries. And so it's just different when a woman does it and maybe it is, but then how do you deal with that when your spouse doesn't see it that way? Yeah. I, I don't have the answers to those questions.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. This is so good. I'm going to move ahead to the next ses- section, because I think, again, this is something that so many of us can relate to, whether or not we currently have some kind of um thing that we're super into. But I want all of us to kind of think back to our teenage years and the huge shift that happens for us, um, for many, many girls. Now, as we've heard from different superstars, some of us come from a place of where it's been modeled from the start. Like you go after the thing that you're into, you make no apology for it. but Um, for others of us, it's some, we've maybe had to unlearn some things that were put on us either individually or culturally. So I'm skipping ahead to page 158. Um, as she starts to kind of talk about this thing that, um, happens when we, when we are teenagers, especially that we experience as girls. Um, so she says, Gilligan observed teenage girls in the state. Beginning not to know what they knew, which was just like such a powerful statement to me. Having been a teenage girl, raising now teenage girls to see somewhere around those middle school years, you begin to see them feeling like, "I, I once knew this to be true, but now is it true? Am I this? I thought that was so powerful. They give up their right to their own knowledge. They start to call their honest feelings crazy that hit me really hard too. She quotes Iris, a 17-year-old girl from her study as saying, if I were to say what I was feeling and thinking, no one would want to be with me. My voice would be too loud. Desire becomes overlaid with shame. And as a result, girls start to conceal their vital, curious, pleasure-loving soul. We disassociate ourselves from her, erase her from our histories because it's easier to make our way in the world that way. And then over on the next page, this line just jumped out at me. It's a clever but costly psychic mechanism that allows survival in patriarchy, she says. And it's one that we're taught. So I'm just super curious if anybody has, um, a story, a remembrance that you would feel comfortable sharing from being a teenager and kind of having that shame overlaid on top of something that you were once really into. I thought it was really fascinating the stories that Tabitha tells from her own life. I thought that the whole experience of her being this like super, super music fan and she had a fanzine and all of this stuff and then confronting serious music critics and suddenly feeling like, well, if I can't be that serious about it, I guess I shouldn't do it at all. Just curious who can speak to that. Lindsay, what would you say about your experiences in that area?
8: Yeah, I just realized I thought I was muted and I wasn't, so I hope that like my fan in the background and (laughs) whatever. Um, so what came to mind to me as I read that, um, and it's kind of, I mean, it's like a little silly, but whatever. So we're here, right? Is so in third grade um, Hanson released their first album, the one that Mbop was on, right? So I was eight years old. I was prime, perfect age, right? To love Hanson. And I had my little friend group and we were obsessed, um, until we got to fifth grade. And one of the girls in my little friend group declared that we couldn't like Hanson anymore, that Hanson Um, that it wasn't, wasn't cool. And like as a group, this was something that we needed to decide to no longer, um, be interested in. And I remember a while later, maybe in sixth or seventh grade, a friend of mine, asking basically like trapping me into admitting that I did actually still like Hanson and was listening to their music still and making me feel dumb about that and like stupid about that and um I still love Hanson and it is a thing that I if you have not listened to any of Hanson's recent albums I would highly recommend that you do that because many of them are legitimately excellent um but that is a thing that I think about all the time that like we loved and we were willing to just love it um up until a point and then suddenly we decided we we no longer could. Um, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I see Candace is saying her friend went to see three hands <laughs> in a week. I have seen Hanson live more than any other musical act um, until later this month. My husband and I are going to go see the head and the heart. And that means the head and the heart are going to surpass Hanson. And so I can no longer. <laughs> it's a milestone. Use that as my- <laughs> but, um, but I, yeah. So that, I that's what you. came to mind as I thought about that.
0: I love that example. Emily and I are really giggling about this because our youngest sister, Sarah, was Hanson mega fan. To this day, she can tell you all of their birth dates. She can tell you their whole biography. She can just like recite their Wikipedia page for all three brothers. And she would say the same thing. Like their music's really good. Like do not, don't get it twisted. Hanson's music is excellent, um, to this day. But as, as a kid, you know, that was like, it was huge for her. Absolutely huge. Um, Emily, anything from the chat about um this sort of like middle school, high school teenage experience. Um, I think Lindsay makes a great point because there is, I do think there is this component of like you can call it patriarchy, you can call it, you know, like a male preference in a, a culture. Um, and I want to get more into that in just a second. So sometimes we can kind of look at the bigger culture, but then also sometimes we as women and as teenage girls, especially, we do it to each other and we do it to ourselves too. Um, Emily, anything from the chat? I just wanted to check in on that because I know y'all are still chatting away in there.
2: Uh, yes. Athena just said, I'm still a fan of the same kind of music now, um, you know, that the same that when she was a teenager as to now, um, much to the dismay of her parents. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Lisa M said, I found myself wanting to reread to do all the homework. Um, you know, there's some talk in here about um, you know, um let's see. Oh, I lost it. Darn it. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's okay.
0: Um, I'm going to go ahead and move to the next passage. Um, because I think it just totally tracks in line with this experience that a lot of us might have had when we were younger and continue to experience based on, you know, what our interests are today. But over on page 179, um, she's talking about girl stories, right? And I love that she tells this fascinating story about how she's talking to this researcher about birds and the myth of only male birds having songs. You guys, I I was like I'm learning science along with, you know, all of this social commentary in this book. So revelatory that Birds, uh, female birds totally sing. This is absolutely normal. But in an academic setting to get people to believe <laughs> that this is true has been so frustrating for this researcher. So she's talking about the, the female bird song. And then she goes into talking about girl stories. So again, on page 179, she says, when we look at a girl story, most of us go a tiny bit stupid, writes the critic Lily. Leboro, Luthburro, in her Virginia Quarterly Review essay "The Male Glance," it's an e, it's an essay about how we perceive art and culture created by and or for women. And she was thinking about it a lot in her conversation about that. We don't expect female texts to have universal things to say, so we dismiss them outright without any real consideration. We glance at them; we think that's enough to get all the info we need. They're just girl stories. The male glance is how comedies about women became chick flicks. It's how discussions of serious movies with female protagonists consigned them to the unappealing stable of strong female characters. It's how soap operas and reality television became synonymous with trash. It's why the taste-making music website Pitchfork didn't lower itself to review Taylor Swift's 1989 when it came out, waiting instead for Ryan Adams' Until Ryan Adams released a cover version of the exact same album, which 1989 is a masterpiece and how we would pitchfork, not review it. But again, I think all of us, and I think this is a topic that we've kind of touched on and danced around and, and dug into a little bit in sort of awesome, generally speaking, this idea that if something is created by and or for women, that somehow it is reduced in value, that it's not worth serious Devotion, or you know, obviously, critics saying, you know, it's not even worth our time to review it. Um, What are your thoughts on this? Just anything that stood out to you? Was
2: this like, did this resonate for anybody? We have a lot of thoughts in the chat. Uh, Okay, yeah. Katie Cobb said this infuriated me. I loved it, don't get me wrong, but I wanted to punch someone. Um, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, Lindsay Cornett, the story made me so mad. Yep. I could just not believe that no one had thought to pay attention to the female birds. Oh. Katie yep. Cobb, uh, I think we should rename Cobb. <laughs> this is hilarious. I think we should rename comedies about men to dick pics and take over <laughs> the narrative with the female case. <laughs>
0: Perfect. <laughs> yes. yes.
2: Katie Cobb, that is very on brand for you.
0: (laughs) Love it. I love it. I mean, seriously, this chapter brought me to tears as I was just thinking about the correlations between um, just like studying nature and then how this applies to how women experience feedback from others about the things that they are into. You know, I think Rebecca probably on some level has thought about this in terms of Harry Styles in one direction. Generally speaking, Harry Styles specifically being, you know, it's just for girls. It's just for teenage girls. It's there's this like decades long history of things that are that teenage girls are into are automatically just silly and not serious. Um any other thoughts on that
2: section? Uh, Lindsay Cornett said, I think about the perception of Catra in the Rye versus Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really true. And if we think about two, now I do think, and I will say this, that I do think that the tide is definitely beginning to turn when I was an English major in college to read, you know, Tony Morrison's Beloved was like, oh, that's like, oh, we're going to like put oh, a black woman's voice in here and aren't we progressive? And now I think as, as I look at what my daughters are reading, they're assigned reading, um, that we're beginning to be so much more inclusive. Um, and speaking of my teenage daughters, Daisy, we've talked about this on the show. She herself has talked about it. One of her big, big, big interests for years has been Dungeons and Dragons, which Conventionally and traditionally was a male dominated hobby. And Daisy was definitely not so much anymore now that she's 17 and a half, but for years, she was all the way obsessed. She listened to the podcast. She played the games. She DM'd. She was a dungeon master. Like she, like all of these things, she was all the way in. And at the same time, a lot of her friends that were in her groups that were the, the campaigns they were doing, it was almost all girls. And so I think that as. As culture continues to move forward, and there is more of a push, a lot of it from Gen Z, you guys, a push for more inclusivity, no, no more gatekeeping, opening up these experiences to everybody. I think we're going to see some of this shifting. I hope so much, Carolyn. What do you have to add to that?
4: Um, so, like, I have like a real time uh, example. This weekend on Saturday, um, my son went to homecoming. And he looked amazing and his friends and they all dressed up a group of, of marching band friends. And uh, it was really great. All the pictures on social media. Oh, he looks so handsome. Look at him go. Great. At the same time, my daughter went to a nearby town to our little Colorado version of Comic-Con and they did a group costume for an anime that they're into. And The response back was, hmm, interesting. If she had dressed up and gone to homecoming, everyone would be like, wow, she's so pretty. She's so great. Look at her go. And it was so like, wow, she looks so great. Like, she looked so good. And her friends looked amazing. And they were really into it. And literally, mom was like, "He's so handsome. And, hmm, interesting. It was like. Oh
0: wow. Out.
5: Yeah.
4: Um I was but it also as and then I'm reading that book this afternoon and it clicked to me that I'm I'm guilty of that, right? Like I'm I'm okay with um acceptable stuff, but if it's something that I deem silly or not not like great, then I would be a little bit like and then I'm like, oh, because my mom is certainly that way, where am I that way? So, oh that was good for me and uh i mean we're cheering bella on make no mistake Yeah. Lots yeah, yeah. Of cheering her on yes. but uh still yeah
0: i want to hop over to athena here in just a second that is it's a heartbreaking story but also i think so just like reflective of what she covers in this book and she herself i thought this was so interesting talks about how like her son is like real into anything with wheels and like trains and blah 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 and like go yeah that you know they're going to Boys are boys. that are just like super into their things. And then her daughter like wants all of the glitter and the lipstick and, and she found herself saying like, well, she didn't learn it from me. She like didn't even until she kind of started unpacking to write this book. She didn't even realize how she herself was kind of silencing and trying to downplay her daughter's very natural interest in glittery, glitzy f- female oriented things. And I thought that was really profound and actually like so authentic and, and honest of her to share that because that w- I, if you're writing a book about this and you're like, and as it turns out, I see how I'm doing this to my daughter too. I thought that was really profound that she, that she touched on that. Athena, what did you want to share?
12: So I was going to th- kind of with that, looking at how we kind of downplay things that girls are interested in too with that idea, how you were saying Meg, that oh, well, her daughter was into these things, but oh, but she doesn't get that from me. Um, When I was in the military and it was this whole conversation about, you know, the equality between men and women. And it's this idea that to be equal, to be together with them, I need to not, I need to give up everything that makes me girly or feminine. And I should then just completely go towards, you know, the manly masculine side of things. And I was, you know, the person that even in uniform got up every day, my hair was good. I met on a full face of makeup every day, except for the days that I was knew I was going to get dirty mm-hmm. um, because that's who I was. And I wasn't going to give up the fact that I wanted to wear something and I wanted to get my nails done. Even if I had specific colors, mm-hmm. I was going to do the things that I loved doing, regardless of the fact that I was supposed to be more masculine looking as this woman in the military, um, that it was, you know, it's like, well, why do I care? I don't want to be equal. I want to be me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
12: Also the other side of that for a little bit, my, my oldest kid was standing in here kind of chit chat, uh, kind of listening in Mm -hmm. that he wanted to say that he's, he said he's had a very, uh, it was really interesting to hear some of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, partly because he's got this unique, uh, view on it as, um, not many of you know. So my oldest is transgender female to, to male. And so he's like, I was a teenage girl.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
12: And to come and then be a man. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see like the things that he was interested in as a teenage girl, but now it's okay. Cause he's a guy.
0: Right. Yeah. So fascinating. And I'm sure like so much there to, that would reflect yeah, exactly. Kind of what we're, we're digging into with all of this. Um, okay. Kind of want to move into this last section. It's it's after four here already, and I don't want to take up too much time from anybody. So I want to get to this last section, but Emily, anything from the chat that you wanted to add on before we move into the, to the last part?
2: Uh, yeah, I think that story that Carolyn told, I think really hit a nerve with a lot of people. Um, gosh, that's so sad. And just, you know, the text itself, um, you know, D, uh, Bowling said, we're always grouping ourselves, um, and those around us into categories when we all defy categories.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so true.
2: Lindsay Cornett said, yes, Meg, that part was so eye-opening for me. I want my daughter to be strong and whatever. And so therefore I have totally diminished or brushed over her love of unicorns, glitter, et cetera.
0: Yeah. That was, it was really profound for me to, um, to think about how AJ, she's not into this anymore, but as a little girl was like one Christmas, I remember she wanted silver high heels for Christmas and I... I do feel like, I'm sure I said some things of, along the lines of like, well, and, and she's really smart too. Like, just for us to have to kind of unlearn the things that we have believed about um, ourselves as women, but how we express that and how that reflects who we are. Um, okay, so kind of to close out, on page 182, she is quoting Eve Rodsky, who wrote a book called Fair Play, um, who calls this Assignment of your time according to whatever the F you feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, she calls it the unicorn space, the active pursuit of what makes you uniquely you. And I love that Tabitha's ultimate thing, the last chapter of the book where she's talking about doors and how our um, our our interests, our passions, our obsessions, whatever we want to call it, it they can They do serve a purpose, a bigger purpose, that they can be doors that we find ourselves walking through. And yeah, maybe Benedict Cumberbatch was the catalyst for Tabitha in a lot of these ways, but it's opened up so many experiences for her. And I look at Rebecca, who her Harry Styles' passionate interest has led to friendships, has led to um, concerts, has led to travel, has led to getting to know people in such intimate ways. It's not even about Harry at some point, right? It's like the friendships maybe started there, but the and that was the connecting point, but then it grows from there. Um, just super curious if anybody before we close out, uh, if anybody has can share an experience like that where you like started out, um, super super into a thing, but it opened the door to. Like, oh my gosh, I never would have gotten into this if it weren't for this obsession slash hobby slash passion of mine. I know my interest in fanfic, now I haven't written any fanfic myself, but I know a lot of people who got really, really into fanfic and they're like, well, I'm gonna try, let me try my hand at this. As it turns out, because it's so inclusive and so open and inviting to publish fanfic that it has opened doors and we've seen you know, published authors who did start in the fanfic realm. So, um, yeah, okay. (laughs) Katie snuck it into the chat, said, show of hands. I was like, why is everyone raising their hand? Is everyone telling me bye all at (laughs) once? Katie Cobb said, show of hands for anyone who thinks Meg might try it. Try writing a little fanfic someday. Maybe I have a notes in my phone where I've written down some phrases and some thoughts, maybe. (laughs) Lori Lynn, what did you want to say on that?
6: Um. I think many of us could say sort of awesome is that thing. Oh,
0: yeah. Thank you. I
6: mean, we came we came for the podcast and stayed for the friendships. Yes.
0: So. That should be our tagline, honestly. <laughs> As I look around and I see so many friends that I have made, and I know friendship connections have happened amongst our people um, through the years. I that makes my heart so happy for
2: sure. I, you know, I think it's a lot about the culture, like how you were saying how, you know, it's, it is, it is about Harry Styles, but it's not really, you know, I went to a podcast live show. Yes. No, I went to see, um, Ellen and Joey from obsessed with disappeared. And, you know, my husband knew very, very little about what was going on before he kind of walked into it. Um, but even he mentioned, you know, that he could tell that we were, you know, Kind of birds of a feather, you know, like so. I I definitely agree with
0: that. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. Okay, you guys, I want to be able to get everybody out of here. This has been so amazing. Like, I wish we had like a whole afternoon to just sit in person and talk books. Uh, Liz said, What's our next book? Do you think we should do this again sometime? Okay. I think maybe we should do some fiction next. This was a great nonfiction read. You guys, I would read only nonfiction left to my own devices, but. Uh, <laughs> I will throw out some ideas. I'm going to consult with some of our readers on the team and let's think about maybe a fiction pick for next time. Um, I also had a request for, from one of our superstars, um, to do some books specifically focused on like smashing the patriarchy kind of themes. So maybe it'll be a little fiction in that vein. We'll see. Um, this will be released as a recording audio and video so if you came late or if you just want to revisit the conversation or whatever um you'll have that recording out in the next couple of days um i think that might be it rebecca any closing thoughts from you as somebody who i know like i just had this in mind so much as we were talking about this
1: Yes. I, one last thing that I will say is that when I first mentioned this book on my Instagram stories, I was reading it this past week, a follower and friend of mine, somebody I've met in person, she sent me a private voice memo and she said, I had to look up the description of the book because I love your recommendations like always. And as I was reading through the description, I just want to let you know how much you personally have influenced my ability to find something that I love and that I enjoy. And so I want to thank you, Rebecca, for conditionally and without shame can be radically changing in the lives of the people around us. And so, um, You can smash the patriarchy with your love of whatever it is that you love and show other women that it's okay to be obsessed and to love other things also.
0: I'm going to start crying. So that's probably a good time for us to wrap it up. I love it. You guys, thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday afternoon. This has been amazing. And for sure, we're going to do this again, hopefully very soon. So you guys, thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and close us out. And I guess we'll see y'all next time.
1: Bye, everyone.